Hi, you're listening to Elevate, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. The day that we stop celebrating International Women's Day, or the day that we stop seeing headlines that this is the first female CEO, is the day that we have made it. You, you can't change what people think. All you can do is try to influence them. I think being young is an advantage. I think that people who think that being young is a disadvantage are not doing justice to what young people can bring to the table. Welcome to the Elevate podcast, a series designed to explore teachings, ideas, and thoughts on empowering young girls while celebrating difference. I'm Ramita Anand, your host, teacher, and educational mentor and I'll be chatting with insightful activists, thought leaders, creatives, and all-round brilliant champions for girls. Through these conversations and my work at Elevate RA Mentoring Services, I hope we can join forces to foster meaningful connections in order to alter the narrative around what being different, especially for young girls, signifies. My guest today is a woman full of drive, ambition, talent, and most of all, a passion for change especially when it comes to young women. She is a content specialist with over a decade's experience in the luxury and lifestyle space and currently the editor-in-chief of the well-known and popular publication Tatler Singapore, where she oversees the execution of the content strategy across all platforms, including print, digital and social media. She formerly headed luxury publications Rob Report Singapore and Thailand and Luxury Guide. While her specialty has previously lied in writing about luxury goods, her latest role at Tatler has her striving for giving a voice to those who need it most. Before her role as top woman at Tatler Singapore, she also contributed to magazines and newspapers widely across Asia, including The Edge, Bureau, Esquire and Channel News Asia. A young, beautiful woman of many interests, including learning about the Indian scriptures and applying the lessons that she's learned to her own life. She is a kind, giving and warm individual who I feel so fortunate to have met. It gives me great pleasure in introducing today's guest, the lovely Karishma Tulsidas. Hello, Karishma, and welcome to the Elevate podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. And that's such a fan introduction. <laughs> oh, I'm so, it's all true. I totally believe every word I've said. So I'm grateful that you're here. And I would love to know how you fell into this work in the media industry. And is it something you always wanted to do? No, I did not know what I wanted to do <laughs> at all. Growing up, I had no clue. I wanted to be a Bollywood dancer. I wanted to be <laughs> everything. <laughs> Didn't we all? <laughs> <laughs> then we all wanted, you know, dance. <laughs> No, so I was studying over here and I was very lucky that I had a lecturer who was very um, who was very good to me because we had to do our internships and we had an opportunity to intern at Harper's Bazaar. And she took me aside and she said, look, you're going to work for Harper's. It's going to be great on your CV, but you're not going to do anything. You're just going to be steaming clothes and, you know, getting coffee for everybody else. I have an opportunity with this ex-student of mine, a Japanese girl who's starting her own magazine. It's just going to be you and her. And you're going to get to do everything and learn how a magazine works from start to finish. So I was like, you know what, this is an amazing opportunity that I'd never get anywhere else. You know, work in a startup at that age um, and be, you know, be a writer immediately, not an intern, not steaming clothes. So I interned with her. She made me stay on part time. I was still working. So she made me stay on part time for like a year or so after. 
And I decided that's what I want to do. So I then did my postgrad in fashion journalism, cut my teeth, interned at several places, and uh, and yeah, just climbed through the ranks over the years. Amazing. And it's such a great lesson in terms of not always having to have it figured out from a young age. So when opportunity knocks, you, you, let, you open the door and see what it brings you. And for you, it's landed you in places that you probably never thought you were going to go. Never. This is not the trajectory I had in mind at all. I think if mm. I look back at my life, I look back at what I thought I would be or what my family or what society expected me to be. It's completely different, but I wouldn't change a thing. Now you speak a little bit about family expectations being of Indian origin like I am what kind of expectations did you are you referring to would you like to share that with us a little bit I would say that the family expectation for an Indian woman mm. uh, especially growing up outside of India because I think people who grow up outside of India are a lot more um, a lot more stringent about retaining their culture and retaining the tradition yes so growing out outside of India I think that the main pressure was really just you know a woman grows up to get married and have kids and mm. <laughs> to work at career secondary so interesting that you say that. I, it's such true uh, reflection on so many of our parents who are desperately trying to cling on to what they've left. And yeah. so they keep thinking that passing it on to their children is by giving them these expectations is what they're doing. Whereas actually India itself has moved on in ways that I don't know if some of these immigrant families, including my own parents, have caught up with. I don't know yeah. if you found that. That's so true. And obviously I'm, I'm excited for you in terms of the fact that you were able to break that mold for yourself and and land yourself into a position that is something that you're enjoying and loving so that's a really great lesson for all of us as young females who think we have to do things but actually um they're only thoughts that have been planted in, in a funny sort of way not yeah by anyone other than society really it's yeah it's kind practice. of like brainwashing yeah but it i have is. to say I've, i mean um when you say I broke the mold, I wouldn't say that I it was deliberate in any way. I think that a lot of it was also just chance or just luck, you know. Mm. It was really just I stumbled across this internship and I decided to stay on in the industry. I was, um, yes, I've worked my ass off. But yes, yeah. I also, but I'm also very aware that I've been lucky to be here. I've been lucky to get the opportunities that I've gotten. It's yeah. not just, you know, it's not just me purely deciding at the age of 18 that I want to break the mold. It wasn't that. I had to go through the motions. I had to go through the whole arranged marriage um, situation and, and decide for myself then after maybe 10, 12 years and decide, nope, this is not what I want. Amazing. Or this is not what's right for me. And were you met with resistance when you, when you took these decisions to take the internships? No. No, okay. No, so that's no. good. There was no resistance. There was just, but don't take it too seriously because you'll be getting married soon. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, okay yeah. that, that old card yeah yeah that old card yeah <laughs> no resistance no, I've been very lucky the family's been very supportive okay so I was good because my next question was going to be about any obstacles and barriers that you encountered other so there were none from family or were there any others other than the ones the expectations of you getting married obviously is a big one but any anything else um, any other challenges? I think just the media industry in itself is not the easiest industry to enter because over the time that I've been there um, when I was first starting to join, media was beginning to kind of lose the clout, to kind of lose the respect that it had in the past. And we all know that media is a sunset industry. I work for traditional print media, which is mm -hmm. not the easiest. Over the past 10 years, I have seen advertising revenues drop. I have seen us, you know, having to um, just change our revenue models over and over again, just to adapt with how the market is responding. And I think that's been really the biggest challenge, is just try to adapt 
from going from print to learning a completely new language for digital and learning a completely new language for social media mm. and understanding that the more you learn, the more you, the more you don't know. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> really about staying ahead of the curve um, and understanding each platform for what it's for, for its different nuances and um, not pigeonhole, pigeonholing yourself either. In a way, you're suggesting you've never stopped being a student and you're constantly learning and having to take on the next wave of information to try and implement it yeah yeah I think if you stop learning you just stop having fun in life (laughs) yes it's so true remain static I I I really very strong I think that's that's why I've loved being in media because and that's why I stayed on because I was just so fascinated with the fact that every two days is different every day I'm meeting somebody different I'm reading about someone new I'm editing somebody's life-changing work and it's I'm I have a chance to say their stories to tell their stories to a broader audience and I have chance sometimes to be part of it as well and I think that's incredible yeah that's really nice one of the main ideas that I would love to see less prominent in any workplace is women cutting other women down to get ahead in their own lives yeah now we see this in film even in some of the more corporate roles I've experienced it seems to suggest and you can help me with this that the media world can be extremely prone to this type of behavior around competitive jealousy and not assuming that there's enough space for everyone, that women championing other women might be less obvious in media. I know in the fashion industry, Devil Wears Prada is a film that comes to mind. I know that's a little bit outdated now, but I wonder how much of that you would agree with. I actually don't agree because I don't think that happens in Singapore. I think it's endemic in every in every industry, but I don't think it's, it's necessarily just the media industry. And yeah. if I was to look at my... I can only talk for myself. And if I was yeah, to put my experience in the media industry, I would say that I've had some of the most amazing female mentors. I've had some of some amazing colleagues and com- uh, other journalists from other com- competing magazines and all such good friends. Um, we support one another. We flag each other up for roles when they come up. Uh, I've actually been very grateful that I've worked with women, whether in my own company or whether outside the company, who have been just so supportive and giving and there's been them there's probably gossip you know I mean there is gossip everywhere but I don't think it's been as harsh as Mm. um as as maybe other industries or maybe because I've been lucky to work in watches and jewelry which is a little more Mm. a little more restrained in fact funnily enough um because I was writing about watches for such a long time and watches is such a male-dominated industry it was mostly the men who had the catty Um. (laughs) um the, the the kind of competitive cattiness that was going on and um yeah and the women were very zen through it all we didn't really we, we didn't really care about all of that we were we were just doing our own thing and working very hard but we just supported each other well that's brilliant news I wonder then if it's more of something that gets amplified in some of these movies that we watch or um would you say the generate maybe it's a new generational thing do you would you say the generation of the women that worked before you experienced that a bit more no I, I don't know actually because when I speak to my mentors I speak to the leaders who were before me okay I learned from them because they were such compassionate empath- empathetic souls they were yeah. people who respected everyone around them they respected their competitors um they respected what other people were doing they never put them down I think okay. that that was a very healthy environment to learn from um obviously there's been politics that you have to play and obviously there are times where you are you know where people perceive you differently because you're a woman and Mm. they perceive your male colleague differently and Mm. 
all you have to do is step back and assess the situation. Ask yourself, is this because of my gender or is this because of something I've done? If I've done something, what can I do to improve it? It's, mm-hmm. it's really just yeah. you know, be introspective. Well, anyone listening to this then from a different cultural background, I think we can take some lessons here from Singapore because I think this is fantastic and really, really uplifting for us to hear that there is ways that we can create opportunities for each other and lift each other up because yeah. that's exactly why Elevate was created to try and get that camaraderie and get people to understand that kindness and helping each other through challenge is actually beneficial for everyone so I love hearing that but you've just touched on the idea that maybe there was some issues around the fact that you're being a woman and there was possibly some sort of doubt from male colleagues let's talk a little bit about that what was it like to be a female in the workplace because one of the things I wanted to ask you was, uh, it's no secret that immigrant females particularly have had to pull extra weight to gain acceptance, to gain validation, particularly in senior roles, I would say. I think that's quite agreeable. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's definitely not an uncommon feeling. How do you feel that women from a minority culture fare in the more corporate workplace in Asia today? I think that's really what I would love to know. And do you feel that immigrant females of color still have to work harder to prove themselves in senior leadership roles more than others? Because this, it's been a kindly and widely accepted notion. And I wonder if it has started to change at all. I think that the day that we stop celebrating International Women's Day or the day that we stop seeing headlines that this is the first female CEO, this is the first... <laughs> you know, Indian women heading, or first um, women of color heading Harper's Bazaar in, in the US. I think that the day that we stop seeing these headlines that's the day that we'll have made it. Right. Um, and that's still happening. We still talk about it. Last year in Singapore, sorry, we're in 2021. Mm-hmm. This year we had the first female bank CEO for OCBC and that was the first female yes. bank CEO in Singapore. And why are we saying that? Why mm-hmm. do we have a first female bank CEO in 2021? That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I think that we have... We have made great strides, but it doesn't mean that we've reached the end point as yet. We have a long, long, long way to go. And mm. as women of color, we are, and we call a spade a spade, we are discriminated against. We've seen proof of it last year when Sharanjit Lev from BBC spoke out. Um, it was not, it's not an incident that can't be corroborated. We've spoke, I've spoken to other journalists, broadcast journalists of color who've been told point blank, you're never going to be on prime time because you know you're a woman of color and that's not what the audience wants to see and i work in the media industry the media industry our role is not to pander to the audience our role is to change the audience perspective mm. and we should be doing that we should be putting women of color and telling the audience you get used to this now not this is what you're comfortable with and we just keep pandering to that comfort that's not how it works no but i think but i i do think that things are changing but just not fast enough and we need more voices like Sharanjit and like Anita Kapoor or, you know, even your, your CEOs, your, your, your Leanne Roberts from, um, from Girls in Tech. We need more voices like that speaking out for, for women. I can carry on with Indra Moik. She was the chairman and CEO of Pepsi and how little she's, time she got to spend with her children. She says yeah. she always looks back on that time as wish she had more time with the kids. And yeah. But many women then take the opportunities that they've been given and, and have to say goodbye to them when they have kids because yeah. they feel like are sacrificing on both ends. So I think that's really tough for, for, for young females that want to be in senior leadership roles. But women of color and immigrant families like her who had to 
I, I, she makes a great point about how walking into any kind of meeting room where everybody was talking about football and she's from India and had no idea anything about yeah. football, especially American football. Yeah. So she would be like, well, hey, who wants to talk about cricket? Nobody <laughs> wanted to talk about cricket. <laughs> and it was really incredible. Yeah. yeah, it was really, so, but she, you know, she said the idea of assimilating and being yeah. respected and being brought into conversations. Now, Adam Grant in that conversation very quickly refers to the fact, well, that maybe the Americans should have done something to make you feel a bit more included. Yeah. And, and she raised another really good point that, but she made the choice to move there. So she had to learn the sport. She became very knowledgeable about football pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's so much in there though doesn't it, it says yeah. so much about the, the struggle and the hope that people bring with them when they move to new countries to try and get these great opportunities and then they land the opportunities and then the challenges that come when you're in those opportunities I just think that she said it so beautifully in that one story it all came together for me in in, in so many ways I I think the one takeaway from this story, though, is just the adaptability of Indian women. The fact that we move to another country and we don't say adapt to us. We say, mm. you know what, we have enough. We have adapted our entire life. We have always done what other people want us to do. We've always, you know, um, learned how to be flexible because because that's the way we were brought up. And I think the fact that she was able to adapt and change and, and you know, learn and grow comes from the fact that she can't, she probably has those kind of Indian community values in her. It's, it's not an individualistic society. It's not a society that tells you only think for yourself. It tells you think for others as well. And she brought those kind of values to, to Pepsi in, in the US. And I think that's incredible. Mm. But back to what you were saying as well about women um, having to decide whether they want children or whether they want to work. For me, the important thing is having the choice. Mm. If you want to be in a senior leadership position, great, do it. If you want to be with your kids, even better you know it's just being a feminist being supporting women is about supporting the choice no matter what it's not about judging it's not about judging people who decide I want to stay home with my kids because I think that I see that a lot more now I see a lot of people judging housewives mm. in a bit of a negative light and I think that that kind of needs to stop because that's the choice that they made that makes them happy who are we to say anything Yes, I think I agree with that 100%. I think, again, again, we're going to talk about feminism and you've beat me to it. So you've already you've already got to that word, which I wanted to talk to you about a little bit. But you're right. It's absolutely to do with choice. And I think that is great. I just don't know if women are given the choice. That That's yeah. what I find frustrating yeah. is if they want to have both. What, why, do, why do they have to choose? Why, why can't they be like a lot of male counterparts are? You just identified the word feminism for me. So let's jump to that question. You said it means to you choice. So do you call yourself a feminist? And how do you go about oh, yes. instilling I those values? 100% call myself a feminist. Um, I don't know if you've ever read Roxane Gay's um, Bad Feminist. Yeah, I know the book. I haven't read it, actually. Okay. She's incredible. And at some point in the book, she says that, like I'm ad-libbing right now, um, she says something about you being feminist is... The other person's is the other person's choice. I don't have to believe in what they believe in. They don't have to believe in what I believe in. But I believe that I have to fight for the right, regardless of the fact. If they're not doing it, I will do it. And I've spoken to to people who think that feminism is a bad word, especially you know fellow Indians who think that if they say that feminist means that they're that they're being unfair to men for some reason, <laughs> or you know for for whatever reason they say. But, the, the argument is that men and women are not equal. Men and equal, men and women are not the same. A man can walk alone 
down the road at 2am and we can't mm. and I say that's exactly what feminism is feminism is having the choice to walk alone at 2am mm. as a woman whether you're a woman or a man and not having to make that decision based on your gender that is yeah and I think the, the way that I inculcate feminism in my in my day-to-day life is just I wouldn't say not pandering, but just listening to myself and listening to what I need, not thinking what does society need, what is what do other people expect, but really just being more authentic in that mm. sense, trying to educate. Even, you know, when, when cousins or when family says stuff like we're not feminist, it's mm. more about giving them statistics or giving them points that might maybe trigger a conversation or trigger a, a switch. That's, that's all you can do. You can't mm. change the way people think. Do you think we should be teaching girls in schools a bit more actively about their rights and how to be not just girls? I think we should be teaching boys as well, but what what we should be doing to become feminists and how we can advocate for ourselves. I think we should be teaching equality. I don't think what we're teaching, what we should be teaching men and boys to be men and women or girls and boys to be different. I think we should be teaching them the exact same things and we should be nurturing them at home the same way. from the simple things, right? Your GI Joe toy to your to the sun and the Barbie to the girl. That should not be the case. Pink for girls, blue for boys, and that's very superficial. But it's really just in the very di- in the very small ways that we teach our kids. It's why is my son allowed to go out till two a.m. and my daughter ten p.m. It's just giving them the exact same opportunities, the exact same rules, and teaching them the exact same things. Although I do agree that as a woman, maybe. It is, society is what it is. The community is what it is. And you might have to be a little more careful, but you also have to teach your son how to behave around women and how to, how to make sure that things, if you see any unfairness or inequality and make sure that things are, are, are fair for, for your counterpart. Yeah, here, here to that. Definitely. I agree with 100% everything you've just said. So let's champion those messages even louder and amplify that as much as we can, because yeah. it, it, yeah. Is the, it is the way forward, isn't it? Okay, so let's go back to looking at in, for ideas for inspiration. So you're in, in a magazine world. I love a good glossy magazine. I love picking them up, whether it's fashion, makeup, interiors, travel magazines, whatever it may be. I feel like every publication it fills its glossy pages with stunning images of beautiful women and their amazing outfits and their accessories having the best time and probably one of the reasons you pick up these magazines is for that escapism I get that but I wonder now as a grown person myself how do you think that this impacts a young teen's mind about what her future might or should look like and do you think it's more normalized and realistic way in which we can send these authentic voices to our girls let's talk about that and then I'd love to then take that forward into social media and how that might have enhanced and make this false reality a bigger problem for females or do you think it's a problem at all I just wanted your take on all of that being in the role that you're in I waver a little bit because I do agree that glossies present a hundred percent unrealistic way of life especially in the past especially I think now it's gotten maybe a little better I mean Mm. Um, but I think in the past, you know, the, the, the airbrushing, the kind of stories that were told, the, the whitewashing in the sense that people are perfect and live perfect lives and have never made a mistake in the, a day in their lives. Uh, um, but I think that narrative is changing. Um, okay. And I, I can speak from the, my experience at Tatler. When I speak to my readers, they say that, you know, we, we read Tatler to get lost in that world, in that dream world. Mm-hmm. So you kind of still need to have that kind of content for people who want to read, who want to get lost from, you know, 
it's not hard news. They're not reading BBC. They're not watching CNN. They're reading Tatler to forget about the troubles of everyday life. And that's what they want to read. They want to be inspired. They want to feel like, you know, they can attain that beautiful watch, that beautiful outfit, you know. <laughs> they want to feel that. But I think that um, then what we have to do as a media publication, because we have a responsibility, is just make sure that we balance that out with articles, with features that, uh, that, 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 that can change the social conversation that helps us give a voice to marginalized people, give a voice to activists who are looking to change, um, looking to help people who, who need maybe our readers, because our readers are high net worth. Maybe they need our reader support. So we give that voice to these personalities so that then they can perhaps reach the right people um, and they can make the impact that they want to make. Um, like, for example, last year for our September issue, we had, for the first time, we had a woman in a hijab on the cover, which is not something you'd associate with Tatler because she was also speaking about racial equality. Mm. Um, this is not probably a topic that we would have covered two years ago, but, you know, um, in October, we had a Bangladeshi woman who is a complete fashionista. Mm. Um, you know, we're bringing these diverse voices and people who stand and are passionate about different things we that's our role is to just present a very diverse view a diverse uh cross-section of topics and people pick up what they want to pick up it's so true i don't think when i was a kid uh picking up any magazine with any kind of color woman on the front but you're right malala with her hijab at the, on the cover of vogue yeah. your your recent issue i think these things are huge for young girls to see yeah. and start imagining that life doesn't have to be this figure with this size and this color hair and actually you can still be on covers of magazines with with differences I think when I was growing up or at least when I was studying in the media industry I always said I want to work for a men's magazine because women's magazines are shallow or superficial which they were in the past but I think now with people like with Teen Vogue for example what they're mm -hmm. doing with Vanity Fair with Harper's Bazaar the way that or even Vogue UK the way that they are being part of conversations, the way that they are looking to have an impact, the way that the women that they're featuring, it's incredible. It's yeah. it's a privilege to be part of a of a magazine that a women's magazine nowadays because you get mm -hmm. to write about everything. About if you love fashion, you get to own it. <laughs> if you if you're passionate about racial discrimination, you get to write about that as well. It's so nice to see that change in in within our lifetime. It's yeah. brilliant yeah. because I definitely didn't think being pretty with dark hair was possible. I definitely believe that you had to be blonde. You know, Naomi Campbell and, and the women of the 90s were kind of, she was my only kind of person that I could look up and think, okay, she's, but one, you know, Halle Berry a little bit, but you're right, it was very different. Everyone had to look and feel a certain way in order from, in my head, to be a model and to be on, on covers of magazines. So I'm yes. really pleased that we are changing that for young girls today and hopefully yeah. my daughter will see it differently for herself so I want to talk a little bit about one of my favorite shows and I know it's having a remake um <laughs> Sex in the City I don't know if you've um a big fan of that show or not are you I've watched it before but I I don't think I'll be watching the reboot <laughs> okay really that's interesting I'd love to know why I, I don't know I'm just wanting to action right now it's just okay it's a I personal thing yeah fine yeah. okay yeah. that's cool but Sarah Jessica Parker who we identify as an iconic and ultimate fashion queen she was recently in the media for embracing her aging process and allowing herself to be more real she was photographed and filmed for lots of campaigns with her for her upcoming show and 
I think she was quite bold because she allowed her authentic self with her gray hair to be photographed. She didn't go out and get her hair dyed or she let the grays come in. And it sparked this massive frenzy among the media channels. There was lots about it out there. And I thought it was really interesting because in the same way that Richard Gere or George Clooney gets identified as a silver fox in, in those times when their grays are coming through. Now, some areas where she was really champion for it. But I wondered why you think this was such a momentous event for women around the world. And what more can we do to embolden girls and women to take inspiration in sharing their real authentic selves from what Sarah Jessica Parker's done? I think what she's doing is incredible. I think she's probably the only one, maybe apart from Meryl Streep or yeah. Dame Judi Dench, who've been yes. able to show their age. Because I think in the in the movie, if we're talking about Hollywood, or even Bollywood, right, there are two age categories for women. Either you're a young love interest mm-hmm. or either you're a mother. Yeah. <laughs> if you're anywhere in between, you have nothing. And you have to make sure that you look the part. I've been watching, I don't know, do you watch Morning Show? Yes, yes, I love the Morning um, Show. I love the Morning Show, but... And I love Jennifer Aniston. Like, yeah. I loved her and Friends. But just what she's done to herself, when I look at her face sometimes, I just get so distracted by her face. Right. And, and I think it completely overshadows her acting chop- chops. I think she's amazing at what she does. And I wish that she had let herself just age gracefully. It, mm. it, I feel like it kind of hampers her emotions, hampers what she, how she portrays herself as well on screen. Um, mm. But no, I think what SGP is doing is, is incredible it's very important I am guilty of it I work for a glossy magazine we mm. um we photoshop imperfections and that's something that we should stop doing I, I think and, and, and the funny thing is that we hold men and women to different regards there's a recent ad campaign um I'm not going to say the brand but it featured Beyonce and Jay-Z mm. and Beyonce is completely airbrushed there's not one single flaw on her she doesn't have a ball mm. <laughs> whereas Jay-Z just his face is full of spots and spores and I'm just and it's I don't understand how anybody could have let that campaign fly in today's mm. day and age mm. why is a man allowed to look what and all on camera and a girl can't even have a ball that's showing it's I think that how sometimes we take five steps forward but we also take 10 steps back when it comes to portraying women in, in media and the fact that SJP got backlash for aging that's ridiculous do I hear a sense of confliction then do you find yourself sometimes in the role that you are in that you're having to desperately want to make some changes but because of the work that you're doing and the role that you have got to deliver do you find yourself on a day-to-day basis sometimes really having that internal battle with the content you produce yeah very often very often the um you kind of battle with the legacy of what your magazine is known for and Mm. you need to and what you know people come as I was talking about before as well as people come to see this dream world but you also need to not be tone deaf and kind of need to be part of what's happening you know be part of the wave and I think COVID has been a trigger in helping us include more difficult conversations into the way that we do our content as well. Um, and it's been, it is a daily struggle and mm-hmm. especially being in a censored country like Singapore, where you kind of also understand that some things that some stands that you might take might not be okay, might not fly with the government. So mm-hmm. it's a constant conflict. It's a constant battle between, I guess, some, some, some younger team members who, believe very strongly in uh, in a certain cause and it's really just about balancing that voice out saying and being and 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 going back to the values of balanced in, in uh, journalism with integrity 
Yeah, I love that. I'm so pleased that there are people like you with that kind of conscience in the <laughs> roles that you are to, to help bring the balance. I think that's the point. I think everything you say about escapism is important or writing about luxury lifestyles is great, but you're yeah. not speaking about the everyday lifestyle that most people have and, and can't relate to. So I think being in relatability is probably a, a very important one. What would you say then in terms of your own lessons in life? To where you are standing today where you're the job that you're doing to, up until now what would you say are some of the toughest lessons that you've had to learn for yourself i'd say the toughest lesson is that you can give it your 100 percent, but not everybody's gonna like you not everybody's gonna like love you not everybody's gonna respect what you do and ultimately you just need to learn how to love yourself um yeah. because if you don't love yourself you're not gonna be able to um love anybody else first of all or just you know get over that toxic negativity because we spoke about it people sometimes are there to put you down and that's their shortcomings that comes from their perspective from their you know from their whatever their motivation might be we, we can't we can't assume it mm. but there will be people like that in the world and you just need to learn how to love yourself and I think that's that was really the toughest lesson it's not and loving yourself is often conflated with being arrogant or being vain. And those are traits that none of us want to have or egoistic. Or those are traits that we've been taught not to have. We need to be able to divide the fact that loving yourself is very different from being arrogant. It's about recognizing your strengths, recognizing your weaknesses and loving yourself despite those weaknesses mm -hmm. and understanding that you are a work in progress every day of your life. There is no mm -hmm. perfection. Um, and even if you strive for perfection, even I, I would say even if you're 80, you're probably never gonna get that. <laughs> Mm. you just being the best version of yourself making that choice every day being the best version of yourself every morning when you wake up and making that decision well oh my goodness it's like you've written the elevate program for me that's exactly everything <laughs> that we talk about in elevate it resonates beautifully we're definitely singing from the same hymn sheet karishma oh, so i'm, know that. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah that's that's lovely no it's such a lovely message and i think it's such an important point that you make initially about the fact that you're conflicted in your work because sometimes you've got to deliver to what is expected of you, but yet you want to do other things and not everyone's going to like you for it. Yeah. But without that disruption, without that making those hard choices sometimes, but still loving yourself for making those choices. I think that's where it gets a bit scary and letting yourself be uncomfortable in those moments yeah. of doing the role that you're in can be really hard. And I think I, if I'm honest with myself, probably play it, it safe uh, for a long time because it's easier. It is easier to play it safe. It's a lot easier to take that to take that route. But um, yeah, you have to take chat risks in life, or you're just going to always stay static. No, and it, and that's beautifully leads me on to the next part of my interview, which is all about change and how you think things can change. So if we, if we can only change them when we start to make things uncomfortable for ourselves, and we really yeah. lean into those areas of ourselves that are hard. The way yeah. you you call them weaknesses, or you call them your challenges, but whatever it is that makes you you and how can you work on those to bring your best version to yourself so how do you think then that media outlets can bring about this change for future generations if at all what can we do better for young girls i think we need to hire younger people okay I think we need to be where our readers are i need to we need, we need to recognize that demographics are changing um and if we want to stay relevant, if we want to continue surviving, I mean, Tatler's turning 40 next year. If we want to continue surviving for another 40 years, we need to adapt, we need to change. And we need to be where our demographic, our younger demographic is. Mm. So to that end, I 
try to hire young people. I try to speak to them and um, kind of understand what their motivation is and where, what they work for, what, what, what guides them, um, where they're getting their news from. I work for a media outlet. I work for a print magazine. I, not many people pick up a print magazine. So what I want to know is if, you're, if my reader is on Instagram or my reader is on TikTok, why am I not on Instagram or TikTok? Why am I not evolving the way that I run my business to be part of these social media channels and speak the language that our readers want us to read? <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. I just saw yesterday Brené Brown joined TikTok. I mean, if she's on TikTok, why are we all not on TikTok? <laughs> well, that's incredible. I should join TikTok now. Yes, Karishma, get I on it. Her. I know. I <laughs> get her. on. She's she just announced it yesterday. So with her little recent book launch, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's the point, right? If that's where the young people are, and you want to get to young people, we need to evolve with them, right? We need to get on that. Yeah, and we need to speak the language. We need to stop being pigeonholed or caged by traditions of the past, by what, you know, because I, I work in luxury. Luxury is probably the most traditional industry out there. People, mm-hmm. you know, we, we evolve maybe 10 years later after everybody else. <laughs> and that's true. And we're never going to be part of the zeitgeist. We're never going to be part of the conversation if we're not part of it from the start. We can't just it's kind of like talking about sustainability, right? Everybody's talking about climate change right now, but how many people actually walk the talk? How many people actually believe in what they're saying? And it's not something they're doing because it's trendy or because it's a buzzword or because, you know, the government is giving them incentives that they want that to do it. It's really about doing it because you're passionate about it or because it, it has a purpose. And with a media house, our purpose is to survive, to survive and have change. <laughs> Yeah, very important messages. Those are great reminders for everybody, I suppose, in, in whatever field they're in. But I think media, you're right, it's probably been one that's getting, uh, gets the cost quite a lot, doesn't it? It gets put under spotlights a lot because we all consume media in yeah. so many, yeah, on a daily basis in so yeah. many ways. And there's just yeah. so much information. And I think you're right, the competitive element of how do we get someone who's got so much choice on picking up information from wherever they pick up how what's going to make them pick up my magazine yeah is definitely a question worth asking so if you could yeah go ahead sorry no, i was going to say that the way that people consume media when i ask the younger writers when i ask them what are the what are the media outlets that you actually maybe go to the app to or you know you know you will type on on the url on your website and most of them say that we actually just get our information they might have one or two journals that they follow but they actually just get their information on instagram or on facebook or on tiktok <laughs> which is whatever we might think, whether it's good or bad, it, I, I don't know. We can't judge that, but that's the way that the world is evolving and that's the way, that's what we should be doing. No, you're right. You know, I've stopped sitting down to watch six o'clock news like I used to in, my, in the old days to get all my news. I used to sit yeah. down and watch the news. And, and I think it's interesting because I, I probably get my news feeds through my phone and things now. And But I was sitting down with din- for dinner the other day with my daughter and she brought up the stuff that Boris Johnson had done or said, or whatever it was that he'd put. And I hadn't seen any of that, but she had. And I yeah. thought, well, when, when did you watch the news to see what Prime Minister Boris Johnson said in the last? She said, mum, it's all over social media. And I thought, oh, well, you know, again, I shouldn't be surprised by this. There is news amongst it all, right? And then yeah. Yeah, some of them are memes and some of them are jokes, but she still got the point of what the, the news article was about. And I thought to myself, it is really important for them, for us then to ensure that it's not the misinformation that they're getting and what they are getting is news because with fake news how do you how do you yeah. really know even as an adult how do I really know what is actually yeah. real news and what's not news and it's hard to know uh, yeah. how to guide young people but I think you're right there is a definite 
absolutely a way to communicate with the younger generation that isn't the old-fashioned way. The attention span is, is shorter nowadays. Um, because we're talking about young people. You yourself, <laughs> lovely Karishma, are a very young person. I wanted to know if sometimes ages, and we talked a little bit about Sarah Jessica Parker being on the older side of, yeah. of media, you are on the younger side of it. So tell me, I know you want to bring in young voices, you want to bring in young people, but being in the role that you are in at the age that you're at, do you sometimes feel that you get dismissed by others or do you find it get a bit tricky to navigate what the messages you want to bring in if people think you're just a young chicken who doesn't really have the experience behind her that, to lead <laughs> this road? the time. <laughs> Is it? Okay. Talk yeah, to me about that then. Very often, um, especially if the team is a lot, or especially first of all, if you're managing somebody who's older than you, yeah. Or second of all, if your team or the higher ups tend to be 10, 15 years older than you and they think that they know better and you know that, which they, which they probably do, they have the experience, they have the wisdom. Um, I've just come to realize that you can't change what other people think. Right. <laughs> all you have to do is change yourself. Is in, so I, I, I look at it in two ways, first of all, or in three ways maybe. First of all, it's the fact that when I'm 50, I'm going to look 35 and I'll be having the last laugh. <laughs> so I'm very happy about that. Second of all, all I can do is that if I am presenting to a team that's older than me and who I know is probably going to judge me based on my age, means that I have to be kick-ass at what I do, which means that I have to dress the part. I have to you know, do my hair, do my makeup, do wear an outfit a certain way that will, because appearances matter, whatever you might say. Uh, they do, the way you look makes a difference in how, especially in my industry, how people portray you. And just make sure that I'm very, very well prepared, that I know what I'm talking about and that I can stand my ground. I know where my strengths and weaknesses lie when I'm presenting. So I make sure that I have all the information on the table and I make sure that, you know, it's, it's in a way that's accessible to me so that I can fight for what I want. If then I know that I've done my hundred percent. And I think lastly, it's just the way that I then interact with people who are younger than me and make sure that I don't make the mistakes that I see the older generation making um, and make sure that I don't fall into those pit holes, uh, pit, pitfalls when I, when I interact with the younger, with the younger generation. Mm. So it's really, I, I would say that you, you can't change what people think. All you can do is try to influence them. Yeah, that's it's, it feels I'm going to use the word unfair, but I'm not sure that's the right word either. I think it's <laughs> it's a sad reality, really, that more of us haven't seen how much wisdom we can get from people around us. I was listening to a podcast the other day with music and um, how the young people influence what's trending in music. Yeah. And so if, yeah. we, if we get on side with them and we learn from them in the music industry, that we can piggyback off of them. The older musicians can still gain something from the younger musicians. And I wonder, if, for me, that because I work with students, I work with kids, I've always found that I have my best learnings from my children, the children that I work with and the girls that I teach. So I find it's really fascinating when I talk to people in your world or other office jobs that find being young in a workplace can work totally against them um, and how we can try and get rid of that taboo for young people so that they can make the changes that you want to make. Because if you're gonna be met with people that don't wanna take you seriously and that you say you can't change them, you have to change yourself, then do we really see the change we wanna see? It is a good point, but I would not, I would say that age is actually, I think being young is an advantage. I think mm. that people who think that being young is a disadvantage is, uh, uh, are not doing justice to what young people can bring to the table. 
I think that's my coping mechanism. It's yeah. it's adapting to to the situation and understanding that if I want to be taken seriously, then how do I react? How do I act in a way and prepare myself and act in a way that the other person is going to take me seriously? If I act young, if I wear shorts to a meeting, nobody's going to take me seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so if somebody else who was listening to this podcast and thought, oh my goodness, whatever Karishma's doing in life sounds amazing. I would love to follow in her footsteps and I would love to work in media. I want to work for magazines. What advice would you give them and what kind of career path do you think it takes to get there? I wouldn't say that having an education in media is the most important, but it helps. It kind of mm -hmm. helps you learn how to write, write in a succinct, smart manner with flair, with journalism flair. I think that it gives you a lot of skills when you, mm -hmm. when you actually do a course. But I'd say if you've not done a media course and you just decided that you want to get into media, I'd say internships are the best way to get into it. Okay. Um, nobody hires writers from scratch or at least in the, I've, I've not seen that. They generally start from putting them through the motions, going to internships. But what I would also say is just be aware of how the media industry is changing. If you like magazines, you like glossies, also be aware that Glossies are not the end all and be all of what media is. Media is a lot bigger than that. There is influencer marketing, there is TikTok, there is, you know, um, Instagram, mm -hmm. there is YouTube. There are so many different channels to get your voice out there. If you're interning, I'd say do it at different in different companies. Do it a traditional media house, do it in a in a media house that's that's new, that's digital first. Learn what you like, see where you fit in, see what speaks to you and what you want. It's been amazing to talk to you, Karishma, and I love, I love ending my interviews on a couple of questions that I ask all my guests, so if you don't mind. Can I ask you, if you could change something for young girls in the future, what it would be? Um, if I could change something for young girls, I would, I would change the conversation about gender. I would just say, as I said before, I would say, I would say there's no International Women's Day. There's no longer glass ceilings. There's no longer, you know, um, <laughs> you see sure. traditional, you know, uh, a, a, a man leading a country there's no longer you know those kind of stereotypes I just wish that they had such a diverse cross-section of personalities of people of all genders of whatever sexual orientation they are whatever race there's just an incredible cross-section of people to look up to and aspire to be without without being bogged down by skin color or by or by gender that's what I would hope to change that is amazing and so inspiring and I hope that we get there too that's beautiful thank you for sharing that who are your role models and why and maybe they've changed but tell me about your role models if I were to look at it just from in terms of um, traits or criteria that I love in the women of in my life I would say that I love the fact that my mom and my aunts people in my family they were not allowed to work when they first got married but the way that they took on their roles as mothers, as wives, as daughters-in-law with such gusto and with so much love and compassion and empathy and just the way they've taken care of their families, I think that's incredible. The way they've balanced coming from a traditional mindset, from a traditional generation and bringing up daughters who are empowered and who are, you know, allowed to go forth and do what they want to do and just changing their mentality, you know, like at the age of 60, 70, forcing somebody to change the way they think is, is not easy. Mm. And the fact that they've been willing to do that, I think that's incredible. They've been adaptable and that's, that's, I, I, I really admire them for that. Um, I'm very thankful and grateful that I have a lot of great female friends who are just such a great support system. Seeing women just navigate those situations and be loving and caring towards people around them. I think it's, I think, I think all women are my role models. <laughs> oh, 
that's gorgeous. No, I think that I think what you've just said around taking inspiration from right underneath your nose, you don't have to look up at the, the big shots in the world or the famous, which there are lots of those as well. Yeah. yeah and, they, and we should, obviously, it's lovely to see those people. But I love the fact that you've chosen your friends and people that have raised you to be who you are as your role models. I think that's gorgeous. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for highlighting the importance of appreciating those people who portray such wonderful qualities like courage around you as well. So Karishma, if you could go back to being a teenager now and whisper something to your teen self, knowing what you know now about yeah. yourself, what would what message would you give yourself? Be wilder. Be wilder. Oh. <laughs> do, the thing that, <laughs> do the things that you were scared to do. No, but but seriously, I would just I would tell myself to be more assertive, learn how to fight for your right, learn how to argue in a way that's not disrespectful. Arguing does not mean being disrespectful. Having your own opinion does not mean disrespecting other people. Having your own opinion and raising it in the right manner is empowering and is important to be able to grow into your authentic self. Well, be what yeah. I tell myself as a teenager. Can I ask you why you thought those things were disrespectful when you were younger? You know, I mean, when kids say something as well, right? When kids argue back, parents tend to say, "That's rude." Older. I know. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because sometimes they, maybe they don't have the energy to argue, or maybe mm-hmm. they just feel like the the kids are being unnecessarily um, argumentative for no reason at all. But if if a child is saying something, it means that they believe it, or means that they they are thinking it, and instead of repressing that, there needs to be you need to treat them like an intelligent, sentient being and <laughs> explain to them why they might be wrong or try to understand from them. I mean, you've spoken about it, how young people these days are amazing and, yeah. you know, are so sharp and so focused. And I think they're, they're starting younger and younger. They know what they want. They know what's happening in the world. We have so much to learn from them. Yeah. What an amazing message for us to end this interview on. Young people out there, you've got people like Harishma Tulsidas leading the way for us. And I think we're as lucky to have your voice. I feel fortunate to have had this conversation. I feel like you've elevated me today. Thank you so much for sharing your amazing insights and your experience and working in media. I think it's a huge applause to you for everything you're doing. And thank you for being the voice of change that we all need to have. No, thank you so much. It's been so great being here. Um, I'm so used to being in the other seat where I'm the one asking the questions that it's a bit <laughs> disconcerting to be answering. It's been so lovely talking to you and speaking about these topics that we sometimes just brush under the carpet or we just take it for granted. Just yeah. what it is and you just have to live with it. And it's great that you are you have your podcast, you have Elevate and you're trying to change the conversation right now. I think mm. it's, it's incredible what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. No, it's been really nice. I'm sure being in the hot seat today um, must have been a little bit nerve wracking for you. Yeah. So. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But I think you've been, been absolutely... You've made it, you've made it fun. <laughs> I'm so pleased to hear that and I hope we'll continue to have our conversations and you and I will hopefully keep our relationship going and um, continue to work for young girls in whatever way we can definitely definitely I love that thank you so much and that's everything from us today thank you to all of you for joining in and being part of these very important conversations I hope you will continue to support our cause by sharing the podcast to raise awareness with others If you get a moment and could rate and review the podcast, I would also be hugely grateful. I'd like to extend a very big thank you to Ryan Prestipino from the Pine Studios. 
for all the hard work that he does to help me bring this podcast to all of you. Until next time, stay well and speak soon. Bye for now.